podcast Monaco review. It was a very interesting race. I'm going to be honest, until the first pit stops, I thought it was a bit of a snooze fest. I was thinking, oh, yeah, it's all those stereotypical Monaco or, um, yeah, things that people level at it. But then it really, for me, um, livened up after that. There was lots going on. There's what's going on before the race. There's what's going on in qualifying. Hamilton had a bad weekend. Verstappen had a good weekend. Ferrari had a up and down weekend. Lots to unpack and to do so, as usual, I'm here with Nigel Chu and Freddie Coates. How did you find the race? Oh, I'll go. go. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is what happens when we leave an open-ended question with, like, how did you find the race, both of you? Like, we don't, yeah. we're too polite. Well, like the F1 to each drivers other. in the press conference when they don't want to answer. <laughs> you can answer. You can answer. Um, I thought the race was a good race. I think you're right, Adam. It was a little bit. Um, waiting for the other people to make the first move before the pit stops, which it always is in most races, to be honest. It doesn't even need to be Monaco for that, um, which is why the mandatory pit stop rule is fantastic in Formula One. Um, and it just really livens up the race and gives that kind of kick that it needs. And it was, yeah, as a weekend, it's brilliant. Some of the most storylines for a weekend we've had all year, one of the ones, definitely. Like, you look back at um, Portuguese and Spanish Grand Prix, and... What you were talking about after the race was like one or two things. Um, I mean, whereas with this, um, there seems to be so much to, to mention from this weekend. It's been fantastic. It's been one of those weekends that only F1 can really throw up, which is such a, an, an oddity in the status quo that kind of really, you know, just livens it up a lot. Yeah, I, I think we will look back at this as possibly a key moment in the championship and Freddie was talking about the turning points we've already had this season I think this is probably the biggest of the lot possibly well I guess maybe Hamilton's Imola recovery I guess but in terms of like the whole event Hamilton's poor performance Verstappen winning I think I think it was yeah massively important in this year's title race Mm, yes, before the race, Nigel said he thought it was a must-win for Verstappen or the championship was gone. Well, not only, not only did he win, Hamilton finished a lowly seventh. It was, yeah, it was. Oh, it was brutal. I, I, I it was, was pretty surprised. brutal for Mercedes' I, I, championship hopes. It was brutal. Yeah, and I'm especially when it comes to Hamilton. I'm quite a glass half full person, but this was a bad <laughs> weekend in kind of every level, and it clearly it was clearly getting to him in the race kind of from when the pit strategy didn't work out onwards or even before that it sounded like from qualifying it had a pretty um yeah, as you say brutal team review but we'll focus on Verstappen first what how would you rate his weekend because I think he got a big stroke of luck with Leclerc pulling out um but other than that he seems he seemed to do everything right on race day well, we'll get on to whether Leclerc was looking in a minute. But in terms of Verstappen, I think he did everything right. He kept it clean. He'd never finished on the podium at Monaco. He's had a few incidents. And he kept out, kept it out of the barriers. Thursday didn't go well. But then when the track conditions cooled on Saturday, uh, on the day it matters most, we qualified. He and Red Bull got it right. And the gap to Perez was quite big as well. So I think... I wouldn't say he completely maximised everything, but he was near the limit. And, you know, he, he just did, he ticked all the boxes, I'd say. And he he managed to uh, take full advantage of Mercedes and Hamilton's downfall. And I think he was pretty much flawless on, on, on uh, during the race on Sunday. So I don't think he, he could have done much more, I'd say, in terms of his uh, final result. You look at, um, you look at Max's... Um... The, the narrative around Max going into the weekend was driven by Lewis saying perhaps he's got into his head and that Max had stuff to prove. And the way Max responded to that was by proving he didn't have anything to prove, which I think is fantastic. It's I'll throw mind games at me. I'll bat them off um, like there's no tomorrow. He's, 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 he's come into this weekend and basically proved his maturity in such a way that he didn't let anything get to him. As Nigel says, he kept it clean. He wasn't, he was pushing in the sessions, but he was, not pushing in the way that we've seen Max around Monaco in the past, where it's like, oh, I want to be P1, P1, P1 in practice. He he was pushing perfectly. And the, the um, there's been a lot has been shown from the onboards of his lap that was cut short because of the red flag at the end of qualifying. And every corner was on the limit to perfection with that, with that first half of the lap all the way up to the entry to the tunnel. 
And that's, you know, he, I think the only thing that happened that Max got wrong was that um, he saved that to the end of Q3 and it wasn't the start of Q3. And which obviously, you know, proves the importance of a banker lap and stuff like that. Um, that's a good banker lap, which is mm. where, where Ferrari benefited, obviously. Um, so you've got to, well, at the time, benefited. Um, so, yeah, I think Max did, he did, you know, one of his best weekends. I think a Monaco win is always yeah. going to be, always going to be sweet. You can't, it's a Monaco, a win in Monaco is a win in Monaco. It's, it's, you know, they don't come better. Yeah. Yes, Adam, yes, a win it, in Monaco is a win in Monaco. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, and unless you actually win in France, in which case it's not. But yeah, I I think it was a it was a champions performance from Verstappen, and Ooh. like we said, it, it was That's it was right. needed. Champions performance, eh? Well, it, it, it's he's a traitor you... to the Hamilton to the Hamilton <laughs> fan. Well, he's a traitor. I, I mean, in the sense that it's those wins yeah, that you yeah. build a championship uh, tilt off, and You're right. we've we've seen that from Hamilton a lot, and. This was, you know, the same situation where his rival was on the ropes and he needed to take um, full advantage of that. And he certainly did. But we should get on to Leclerc because he should have been starting from pole. Or should he? So he crashed. He was on, on provisional pole for qualifying and then he crashed with like 20 seconds left or something in the session as Verstappen and possibly Bottas were going quicker than him. Both were. Yeah. What? What? Did you make of that, Nigel? Do you want to go first? I think it's a driver error. So I think it's, you know, it's not deserved that he didn't start the race, of course. It would have been fantastic. But ultimately, he's made a mistake and he's paid a pretty heavy price of it. Well, a very heavy price. I mean, he's not starting his home race at, uh, on pole. So I feel, I feel bad and I feel sad. But I wouldn't say I feel sympathetic for him because I think it is a driver error. And you know <clears throat> you have to pay pay the price. It's Monaco. This is the beauty of it. You make a you know ten centimeter mistake or ten millimeters or whatever. He got it absolutely perfect on his first lap. He was unbelievably close to the barriers, and he just pushed it that that little bit too much. So uh, it's a shame, and yeah, it's just weird. But I've I've read that the damage was the drive shaft wasn't it not the gearbox and that it was on the left hand side of the car which is not where the impact took place so so i thought i was a bit like was it related to the accident or was it a separate issue perhaps it'll be a weird coincidence because obviously he's just crashed but yeah well what nigel yeah you're talking about um why he couldn't actually do the race in the end yeah um and yeah it's it is a bit it is a bit weird that it seems like they sort of took that as red for being okay but um, the whole conversation was, oh, the, imp- the hefty impact obviously didn't hit the gearbox, but it could have sh- shooken up the gearbox and stuff like that. Mm. But they didn't seem to take that approach to the rest of the car. They seem to be so fixated on the gearbox. And it's kind of like this weekend feels a bit like one step forward, three steps back or something for Ferrari, yeah. where it's kind of like, you know, yeah, you're good. But little inconsistencies did cost essentially the start of the race because they can rebuild the car. The crash obviously is Leclerc's fault, and that's driver error, as Nigel says. It's not bad luck. It's it's you know it's not his Monaco curse, which obviously he's had bad luck in Monaco in the past. But this wasn't bad luck. It was pure driver error, and that's a shame. Oh no! Um, well, are we being too harsh, Freddie? <laughs> oh, but, but was is that the curse? Is the curse that you know it curses? The curse him that he can't drive around there. Monaco. No, because. He... No, because he, well, he, he, he could on his first in, lap of Q3, clearly. Well, yeah, exactly. So he can do it, and he made a mistake pushing overdriving too hard because his first two seconds weren't actually great. That's what it was. So he turned in mm. a bit earlier than... I mean, well, I mean, he might have turned in at the same time he turned in on his Q3 lap. It's just it took him longer to get there on his second Q3 lap because he was going slower. So, be, I don't know. Um, that's me reading into things in the wrong way. But he just, yeah, he just turned in too early, whacked his wheel and you know it's a mistake we see when you're pushing the limits in monaco to be fair and he was pushing the limits so crash the car i i think it's dangerous to apply logic to supernatural occurrences but we will have to wait until next year <laughs> to find out uh, the next chapter of this and then they can make a movie out of it or a sequence like the conjuring i don't know but the his conjuring teammate got second i'm just wait okay. one last thing i mean it's just gonna say it's it's a shame because i think 
had Leclerc started on pole, I think he would have had a brilliant chance at a win, even I if Verstappen had a slightly faster car. Because I think you can just, as we saw with Gasly and Hamilton, mm. the pace difference—it doesn't—it doesn't matter. Mm. So it's just such a shame that he didn't get the chance to try and win his home Grand Prix. And how cool would that have been, Ferrari, after the after the season they've had and the Leclerc on home soil? It would have been spectacular, but wasn't meant to be. Mm. I think I'd I'd agree with that. I. I would have put him as the favourite to to win. Yeah. That race. But yeah, we were denied a bit of a fairy tale, weren't we? Yeah. Yeah. That's the way F1 works. Right, Sainz, <laughs> he finished second. It was a good good performance from Sainz. He he kind of he's he's flown under the radar a bit because partly mm. because Leclerc has been so brilliant this season. But he finally got his day in the sun, which is really nice to see. So I don't think he's flown under the radar so much. I think we have spoken about on this podcast how Carlos Sainz has been really good this year. In comparison, you look at other fantastic drivers who've jumped into new cars. He's jumped into a new car and has performed fantastically. We all know what you're thinking of. Just yeah, Ricardo, Alonso, um, just, even Perez I mean, to could, an extent. Perez, you could say to an extent. Sonoda, you could say, has got. I mean, yeah, he's not driven an F1 car, but he's he's half a second average off Gasly. So it's. And two Q1 exits apiece already in, in, a, in a row for Sonoda. Um, so, like, you look at Sainz and he's he's in the fight for pole. He's probably going faster, I think, than Leclerc was in their final Q3 runs. Um, whether he would have been um, on the front row, we don't know, but he was in the fight for that. So, he's done a really good job and well-deserved second place, definitely. Yeah, I mean, fun, funnily enough, I don't actually think it's his best performance this year. I think Ferrari just had a better car, which allowed him to be up the grid. Uh, but I think, yeah, you still have to ultimately do the job. And he, he did that. He uh, took advantage of Bottas's weird and slow pit stop as well. And he more than deserves his third problem of his F1 career, is it? I think, I think it's his third. third. So, third. yeah, good job. And third. it'll be interesting to see if we can get more podiums in in, the, in later this year. Yes, yeah, certainly, certainly will. I think uh, Leclerc said after qualifying that he thought it was the high point for Ferrari, that it was just kind of a lot of things coming together this weekend that was um, yeah, I putting them that. up there. But, you know, at the same time, I think the gap between, if, if we're counting Ferrari as the midfield, the gap between the front and the midfield and the top teams is as small as it's been for years. So I, I think it's, Definitely on the cards, especially um, seeing as Perez isn't perhaps hitting his straps yet and cleaning up all those, you know, top three, top four places. Why, Freddie, why do we think that is? Do we think that's because of the budget cap? I think it might be the just regulations staying the same. They haven't stayed the same. No, yeah, but the kind of free, not freeze. Do you think it's because Mercedes have been cut back with the um, the floor rules more? Yeah, I th- yeah, I think that's that's a lot of it, and then kind of Rebel yeah. have moved up, and everyone's got aggregately closer to Mercedes. It gives me hope for the next few years of Formula One, definitely. Mm. That's I'm much happier about it than future. I have been. In the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I think it feels like this could all reset next year, but we're not talking about we're talking about earlier today. Lando Norris was another person who drove earlier today in the world's worst segue, but it was great. <laughs> I, I I was so pleased that the golf um, livery did get a happy yeah. ending um, for one of the McLaren drivers. Um, <laughs> Norris, he he was under pressure from Perez towards the end and he managed, managed to hold him off. But overall, it kind of felt, I think because of all the things going on with Mercedes and... Yeah, kind of Verstappen being out in the lead and then it looked for a bit like Sainz was closing in, but, you know, unlikely that he would ever pass. It kind of felt like Norris, despite getting his third place, for again, flew a bit under the radar until kind of the closing laps when Perez was on him. Yeah, I can see that. I know what you mean. Um, Sorry, Norris. Thank Um, you. There's a bit of deja vu here. We just keep always talking about Lando Norris doing quietly good performances now because he's he's made it his his kind of thing just to be... (laughs) Um, you know, reliably fantastic. And mm. that's what he was this weekend. He lapped his teammate and he um, was what, fifth on the grid. Um, fifth in qualifying, fourth in the start, obviously, um, because of Leclerc. And 
yeah, deserves podium, to be fair. Drove the wheels off that car. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I don't I think McLaren they weren't expecting you know, I don't think they were expected to be anywhere near the top three because I think they think that they're best from the high speed circuits. Monaco definitely definitely isn't one of those tracks. So I think it's a surprise result. I think Norris thought that himself after the race, uh, which was fantastic to see. But yeah, he's, he has been absolutely superb this year, really has. And he, he nailed it in qualifying. I think he was only half a tenth behind Verstappen or something. It was so, so close. Uh, so yeah, just to be up there in a car that perhaps didn't quite have the pace of the Ferrari or, or the Red Bulls, fantastic job. And to see Sainz um, celebrating with Norris at the end yeah. in his um, in his interview, I thought that was brilliant. <laughs> I really that liked great. that. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to use that phrase, drove the wheels off his car, because one driver that couldn't get the wheels <laughs> off his car for as, uh, no matter how much he might have wanted to was Valtteri Bottas, who, to be honest, I think he had a fantastic weekend up until that point. Um, but it all came apart apart from his front right in the pit stop. And that was that was all she wrote. It, it was really surprising because you don't often see a car just, you know, you see pit stop problems and cars, you know, maybe have to go out and do a lap and then come back in like we saw with uh, Russell at Sakir or, you know, you see things like that, but you don't normally see a car come into the pits for a normal stop and then that's it. They, they, they can't complete the pit stop for for the life of them it was I felt I felt really gutted for Bottas because I thought he had driven very well up to that point he had driven fantastically um he's definitely he was definitely the better Mercedes driver this weekend and that's, that's saying a lot um based on you know his teammate the seven-time world champion statistically greatest driver of all time and Bottas without doing him this weekend uh particularly after a Spanish Grand Prix that had be had, had a few sort of um, heads turning at Valtteri going, hmm, maybe not. Don't don't be a little bit... You're being a little bit too cheeky there, Valtteri. Team player, mate. And now he's coming and just, you know, done a great job and was in the fight for pole in a Mercedes that was the struggling car. So mm. hats off to him. It's a shame. It's a real shame that he wasn't able to achieve a podium because I think, yeah, he's a driver who richly deserved that. Um, but obviously, um, I don't know, Life says that's enough for you, Valtteri, on lap 37 or whenever it was. And not lap 37, like lap yeah, 25. Lap. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you had to slot back into retirement. Yeah, I was gutted. I was gutted too, Adam, <laughs> like you. Uh, and, and I think Monaco proves why I personally, why I rate Bottas, because when Halton isn't on it, which is very, very rare, like once a year, if, if that. If we think yeah. back to what 2017, 2018, when Halton hasn't been right there, Bottas has been there to pick up the pieces and to be up the grid. And he did exactly that in Monaco. Uh, so I think he was superb. He seemed to be able to find the tyre working window, which Halton couldn't as well, whether that's a driving style thing or whatever. But ultimately, it's down to the driver on a driver's track as well. Monaco is probably the biggest driver's track of them all. And Bottas was miles better and quicker so fantastic weekend he definitely deserved to at least be second or third uh it's just yeah just a big shame really um because he's i, I don't even know where he is in the championship championship now but i think he's like 60 points behind or something behind Halston. Mm. so you know and that is not a reflection of where it should be yes bottas hasn't been better this season but i don't think he's 60 points worse no. and and, you know, it's, it's just, just a shame. A bit like Leclerc, in a way, except this wasn't a driver error. So it's even more of a shame, in, in a way. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's, he's three points ahead of Sergio Perez. And we wouldn't be saying Sergio Perez would be um, should be on the same level of points based on his performances to Valtteri Bottas. But Bottas has had two retirements. Um, one for a bad performance, when, which got crashed into, and one which obviously is from his one bad race of the year, let's be real. And mm. um, one has come from another Mercedes pit stop issue. And who knows what what's going on there. I normally want to sort of think, well, mm, mistakes happen with this kind of thing. But it is a little bit more commonplace than you want it to be with this team. But mm. yeah, just ho- hope you're okay, Valtteri, mate. 
Yeah, and you contrast that to Red Bull and their pit stops just seem to be flawless. And Verstappen's one pit stop here, he was just in and out. It was so fast. And yeah, I think it's really tough for Bottas. And yeah, he just, as you say, he shouldn't be as far behind as he is. And that could be his last opportunity to win a Monaco Grand Prix. And he really wasn't far off at the start. You know, he, yeah. he Verstappen came across very hard, but, you know, it's yeah. a matter of feet. And Bottas would have had enough of his car alongside him to, you know, be able to be able to push his nose into turn one. And, yeah, it's absolutely gutting for him because, you know, he'd not really done anything wrong. He could have taken pole or, you know, taken the front row um, by rights on Saturday if it weren't for Leclerc crossing. So, yeah. I mean, for all the time we talk about, well, 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 for what I expect, how we're going to talk about how bad Hamilton was, I think we, you know, we just have to say how good Bottas was. Because mm. it's not often that you beat Lewis Hamilton by what was it, half a second or whatever, through, mm. through all three of the qualifying sessions. So yeah, superb job. Just as we as we've said, just unlucky to not get the result. It's everyone's favourite crime to sort of you know just say Valtteri doesn't deserve to be in that Mercedes seat. Where mm. I I really kind of think today kind of proves yeah he does actually mm. and hopefully he can have a few more performances like that so we've got a sort of a happier narrative about Valtteri for the next next season because it, it can be a bit of a um a bit of a depressing storyline I mean there's probably a lot he's of like he's probably going to go back jealousy, to half jealousy. a second behind next race now <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh well he probably will mm. and Leading on from that, Lewis Hamilton in the other Mercedes had a torrid weekend, really. It's kind of hard to think how it could have gone worse for him, kind of on track, off track, on radio, everything. It just never came together. And it's not, I didn't really think about this um, in the preview when we were making our predictions, but Monaco hasn't really been a Hamilton track. It's not one he kind of thrives at. And, you know, I think compared to, Rosberg and Vettel, who are his two kind of rivals over this period, they've both done a lot better and seem to kind of fit more naturally at Monaco than Hamilton has. Um, and yeah, it was a very disappointing race for him. Finished seventh, got the fastest lap, which I guess is better than nothing. But and how, Nigel, you mentioned it's a turning point. How big a turning point do you think this is for Hamilton? Or do you think he'll put it behind him and kind of be back um, back at it for Baki? Which Good I didn't question. mean to... That's a very good question. Uh, I think I don't. Hmm, I think he will put it behind him, but if oh, I don't know, yeah, I, I think he. I think I think it's a one-off. I think it's a one-off because I think what it's Monaco, uh, the track temperatures from Thursday to Saturday changed, and Hamilton wasn't able to understand it. He only had an hour of practice to get to grips with it. So I would say it's a one-off. And the you know he's only four points behind, which isn't the end of the world at all. Yes, he, he would like to be further ahead or or, or whatever, or, or he'd like to be ahead. But I think it was just one of those very very rare weekends where nothing came together when it mattered most. And I'm I can't even think of when he had a weekend like this. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm having to think back quite a, a while. So well, Freddie's just, been doing some statistical digging on that so he might be able to tell yeah, us. Yeah, it's just extraordinary how bad it was, I'd say, yeah. Um, I, I did a look at his qualifying performances to see when the last time he qualified that that low based on just driver, not based on yeah. his car breaking down, which is Hockenheim 2018, which is a stat that's been thrown around. But um, you go back to Brazil 2017, where he crashed in Q1, that meant oh, he yeah. started in 20th. And then you go back to Monaco 2017, where um, the so-called diva comments came out about that car, which is one we've brought up a couple of times on this podcast about this year's car again, which is um, a remarkable little bit of deja vu, where you've got another poor performance in Monaco in a car that's not quite getting up, not quite gelling with with the track. And, you know, you look at that year, and um, it was the, the sort of shorter wheelbase Ferrari that was able to run rings around the Mercedes at Monaco, and the Mercedes was really Do you know where Bottas was that weekend? Oh, go on. Um, yeah, in Bottas, Monaco, I think. I think he finished qualified third and finished fourth or something like that. Okay. Hamilton qualified so, like 13th. So, so the gap seventh. this year was bigger, was it? A bit a bit bigger. What do you mean to the gap? To Bottas, the, sorry. The gap Hamilton to Bottas. Bottas. Um, no, it was smaller, actually, I think, to 2017. Because oh, okay. in 2017, he didn't get out of Q2. 
Um, oh. But I think I think the gap in the race is probably relatively similar, to be honest. Um, if mm. if Bottas had finished, but he didn't, yeah. so um, that's 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 you know that's not a statistic. Yeah. Well, it's four years ago, which says you know there's mm. been precisely like, what, precisely eighty races, not eighty races, yeah, about eighty races since then. And I think I think you know you, you go back to sort of and that wasn't really an awful weekend for Lewis. The Mercedes wasn't gelling with the track, and Bottas was just able to cope with a low grip conditions much better. For an actual like awful weekend for Lewis Hamilton, um, I, I kind of I don't really know. I think the only really like properly bad one I can sort of think of on top of my head where he should have been up there was Singapore 2016, um, which is one where Rosberg just did fantastic, but. And just completely got into Hamilton's head that weekend. But I think I don't really know. It's it's really hard. He, like the whole sort of the whole turbo hybrid era, he's been the man. And now we've got the mm. first driver who isn't a Mercedes driver or Sebastian Vettel um leading the championship uh since um well, I guess since Kimi Raikkonen or something, probably in twenty thirteen. Um yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. I think it, it's an interesting one in terms of the championship because on the one hand, it's like all of the kind of good work and marginal gains that they got over Verstappen have just gone like that in one bad weekend. And mm. I feel but on the flip side, I guess that's kind of why you build up a buffer is so that when you do have a bad weekend, then, you know, it doesn't completely torpedo you and, and he's still in the running, you know, and he's still very close and if he wins next weekend, he'll go ahead of Verstappen. So, yeah, it's, you know, it's not the worst position that's being coming out of the weekend. But as you say, for the weekend itself, couldn't really, it seemed like every everything went against him. And on top of that, he wasn't, you know, at, at one with the car at all. He was really struggling. It's, right, it's the marginal gain. Excuse me. me. Right, because you just do not expect, no one before the weekend expects, right, Lewis Hamilton's going to have, one of his worst weekends mm. ever. He's going to be on the fourth row of the grid. Nobody thinks that. So it's just a shock, I'd say. Mm. And if you look at um, the two cars who retired, they were technically in front of him. So if yeah. Clerk and Bottas had finished the race, yeah. he would have finished the race in ninth, yeah. which is um, really not good, to be honest. And you, know, you can imagine him kind of being like, oh, good for you, Max. You're um, good for you. You're um, now four points ahead of me. But <laughs> And just taking it on the chin and taking it to the next race. But, you know, to be honest, there's some really, really poor things have gone on there. It's kind of been um, covered up a bit by the fact that two spaces have been granted based on other mm -hmm. retirements to make it only seven. I, th I think, you know, it's not, not fantastic. Enjoy it, Max. I hope you use the money to spend some lessons <laughs> on grace and decorum. Um, yeah, and I think, I, I think for me, the biggest one was the way he kind of snapped at the team. I don't really remember that. Yeah. Like, even Hockenheim 2019, I don't kind of remember that being a thing. You know, even if he's not on a good weekend, normally, um, you know, his mentality is just kind of looking at, oh, you know, on to the next one, on to the next one. And granted, that's a bit easier at a track that isn't Monaco, where you're not stuck looking at the back of... Pierre Gasly for the whole race, but yeah, it it just Worst seems places to be. It's it just seemed really off. Um, but yeah, well, if... I don't know because a couple of years ago when he was in the lead at Monaco, he was you know saying that the strategy wasn't right then and stuff. I know it's a different situation, but he does. I can think of quite a few times when he has been disgruntled on the radio. I'd say disgruntled I... is it's sort of different. Like you know, Hamilton was sort of you know saying something on the radio about like oh I don't agree with the strategy that kind of thing um he doesn't then sort of go to the press after the Saturday and the Sunday and show as many sort of cracks as he did today he's normally ever the professional winner's a team loses a team it was a bit like um he really feels like he did the best he could and he was let down today which is really rare to see publicly from Hamilton um mm. Which think... kind of lets the team down a bit. I can imagine them feeling a bit let down by him, which is a really hard thing. But like, he has every right to sort of say, well, yeah, as, as a driver, he's, every, he's one of the few drivers who's every right to sort of really back himself and his performance. And if he feels so limited, I mean, because, you know, to be honest, most of it was the fact that he got held up behind slower cars. If there's another track, Hamilton would have come through the field. Mm -hmm. it's, yeah. it's like, yeah, the job wasn't done in qualifying. The setup changes were done after FP3, to try to change more things as well. So we went qualifying blind in a car. Um, so, there's, you know, there's lots of caveats to sort of defend Hamilton, to be fair. Um, 
I don't know. It's just I kind of thought he's. I kind of look at him and think, you know, he, he keeps us behind closed doors. It did seem a little bit mm. public, dirty laundry, which you don't really get so much from him. Yeah, I think a lot of the time, kind of like you say in Monaco a few years, uh, two years ago, that that seems to be more of a coping mechanism for him of like, you know, just kind of um, sounding it out. Makes, yeah, or like I don't know, not kind of victim syndrome, I guess, of like want, wanting, you know, feeling like his back's against the wall and kind of needing that in his mind. Is enough to the race here, and say, oh, the team did a great job. I don't think so. I think this time he was really annoyed at the team that he was in that mm. situation and it wasn't kind of using like to spur him on. It was just him wanting to vent. That That's my view on it. Um, but yeah, yeah if you're looking yeah, at I I get that. that, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think if that. you're looking for the next uh, Bad Hamilton performance, Monaco 2025 will be one to pencil <laughs> in. Um, I mean, 2025. I don't know. 25. Yeah. He was on the grid then. Odd. Then, yeah. He might have won another four championships. Who knows? Um, but outside of that, Sergio Perez, um, should we just take a bit of time to talk about his performance? Because he was a long way back from Max in qualifying, but in the end he came, you know, he had a decent race and yeah. came fourth. I think I think before the race, I was thinking how how long with Perez do we kind of go before we do actually say he should be doing better? Um, but how how do you evaluate his weekend? Um, sort of a classic Perez weekend at Red Bull, isn't it? Yeah, good, good in the race, can't hook it in the quali. And because he was good in the race, he was able to make a strategy that was, um, he made, he's able to make the overcut strategy, which, um, I said before the race would be, you know, probably the main strategy. And that worked well for Vessel, but it worked phenomenally for Perez because how many places, how many places did he go up when he got clean air? Three places yeah. he was able to just use the pace, and that's. It's pretty textbook, that strategy, for a faster car stuck behind slow cars. And I was kind of surprised that Hamilton pitted straight away. I was watching the race with you, Adam, and I was really surprised that Hamilton had pitted. I was, I was expecting him to go long. <laughs> no, you were sat doing crap in the corner. And you're, like, filing your nails or something. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, well done. Well done, Rebel strategy. Really good. Well done. Yeah, definitely. And you have to execute that strategy as well. You can have the best strategy in the world, but as a driver, you have to perform, you have to pump out the laps. That's what Perez did. He set quite a few fastest laps of the race, I think, and he perfected it. It's just a shame he's qualifying. It's still lacking. He needs. He definitely needs to improve that because, uh, yeah, well, it's already hurt him this season, but a good Monaco, uh, yeah, probably could have been on the podium, I think. I think the key point that went well for Perez was the fact that he um, was ahead of Verstappen when Verstappen pitted because he put in those really fast laps to be able to get just ahead. And then he pulled three seconds while well, Verstappen was in his warm-up phase. And then he pitted, which meant he was able to come out way ahead of the Vettel-Gasly-Hamilton train. So that's where his pace really won him that fourth place. So, yes, Perez, good strategy from Red Bull and a very good performance from him in the race to make it work. Can he continue that? In Baku, we will have to see. But another team who had a good weekend and good strategy in the race was Aston Martin, who it was very surprised. And I think, like I said earlier, Vettel has gone well at Monaco in the past. And it's kind of quite a classic performance from him in the end to finish fifth. Well, yeah, I mean, um, I'd bring you another stat. Um, when Vettel hasn't had a DNF at Monaco, he's finished fifth or above. And he's kept that trend after having four pointless races. He's got 10 in Monaco after, you know, driving really well and Mm. driving really well when it matters. It's executing the strategy, but it's also a good strategy. So well done, Aston Martin. Double points. Stroll did a good good strategy as well. Mm. Going long on the hard tyres for a very long time, using the poor pace of the Alpine to his advantage to then have them be slower than him and just push everyone back. So the Alfa Romeos and stuff slot into that gap that was ready made and finish in eighth place. Really good job. Yeah. I think I saw a stat about Vettel in Q3. Um that he's reached Q three for a long um stretch in Monaco. It might be that he's never not reached Q three, I can't remember. Wow. Um but yeah he, he Great start. Yeah, he goes very well there as Freddie attacks the camera. Um and yeah I think the, the the most dramatic part they was when Vettel was coming out of the pits racing Gasly and then they cut away from replay of Stroll oh. um, 
So we can get me started on the race direct all weekend. Even in qualified, it was. Start, go. It's Monaco for you, though, isn't it? It's the only race now which is done with, an, with their own Automobile Club yeah. to Monaco television production crew. And probably mostly because they can't actually ship an entire TV production crew down to Monaco in an easy way. But um, And they keep it set up for like the FE and the historic and stuff like that. But goodness sake, I mean, wow. He went wide at the swimming pool complex and went over the curb. Whoop-de-doo. We're having racing here, boys. Gen- genuinely the best racing action of the race like <laughs> yeah hand- hands it was down. really good it was it was some of for all, for all i think we all agree it was a good race that was the best moment of it there wasn't much action on track wheel to wheel and the one bit that there was and they missed it because they were showing <laughs> stroll go straight on <laughs> over a curb to be fair awful. it's much more memorable now to be to be honest we're gonna remember it for that stupid bit of um <laughs> I nearly said something else there. That stupid bit of TV direction. Um, whereas we'd remember, oh, that was a good strategy. Whereas actually, that was a really good strategy because of, you know, we didn't see it. Mm. Whatever. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, Vettel's performance, for me, I think it's his best performance for about a year and a half. Better than any performance last year. For, for, for the Better whole than Turkey? For the Better whole than weekend. Turkey? For the whole weekend, yeah, I think. Okay, so. yeah, I can get I'll get involved with that. I think Turkey, not sure where he qualified, but I don't think he made Q3. I'll say that. Uh, no, I don't think so, you're right. So yeah, I think it was just superb. It, it was, it was a glimpse of the old Sebastian Vettel, the four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel, which was, you know, fantastic to see on, as we talked about, Monaco as well, a proper driver's track. So hopefully this can. Give him a confidence boost, uh, give kickstart some momentum perhaps into his season, which has been pretty poor so far. And hopefully, this is the one result that he needs to get his season going because it was a great weekend, I thought. To be fair, we were talking earlier about how impressed we were with Carlos Sainz's um, transition to Ferrari. Um, Sebastian Vettel, um, the race um, put out a a like graph thing that they do, this thing called F1 Visualize, where they basically sort of get an 8-bit version of the car and do like graphs of like the time between the cars and stuff like that. And they did an average sort of qualifying time difference between teammates since the start of the season. And the closest was Stroll and Vettel, with Vettel being slightly behind Stroll, but that was the closest in terms of pure qualifying pace. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously Monaco helps to that. Yeah, it is Stroll. But I mean, in terms of like... He strolls <laughs> stroll the yeah it is stroll thing doesn't really wash too much this anymore because he's actually doing quite well. Yeah, but he's not up against Leclerc, is he? <laughs> no, he's not up against no, Leclerc. But but he's up is. against a driver who's been in that team for two years and is owned by his dad. So yeah, well, like, Stroll's never been a... the best qualifier. All right, well um, let's 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 shut up then. Okay. Vettel <laughs> yeah. Vettel is in fact rubbish. He should be absolutely creeping stroll every weekend by three seconds. Um, yeah, he should. But. In, in, in the absence of that, it was a good weekend for him, at least Freddie and I think so. And yeah, Stroll, a good, good weekend for him. Who qualifies, not in the top 10, qualified 13th, but then made his way yeah. in the race. And yeah, brilliant strategy. Just... Mm. Yeah, it was. brilliant racing by him. He made up a few places um, at the start off his own bat as well, I think. From memory, I think he made up like three places, but I might be completely wrong. Um, you, you might be. We don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm mixed up with something. I don't know, like Russell. Who knows? None of us do. Um, continue. Adam, take control the... of the podcast. It was a good performance from Gasly, unless you're a Hamilton fan. But he—that's <laughs> <laughs> my taking control. No, he—he he was flawless, really. I thought, which considering he did spend a bulk, vast bulk of the race. Um, with Hamilton behind him, much to Hamilton's ire when he pitted and then came out behind Gasly, and he was absolutely furious. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a really strong performance from Gasly, and he wouldn't be in the conversation for a driver of the day, but I think he was probably one of the top five drivers today. Mm, they had lots of good performances, weren't they? And yeah. Gasly, he, he put himself in that position with a fantastic qualified again, another driver who had a, a good, good lap in Q3. And he managed to soak up the pressure of a seven-time world champion. So I'd say that's 
a pretty good weekend, yeah. I, I think. I don't think it wasn't just a good Q3 lap either for Gasly. I mean, he was consistently mm. up there. I think he took topped yeah. at one point in Q1, that kind of thing, the timing sheets, and definitely did a cross practice session. He's been really fast all weekend. You sort of think of um, Lewis Hamilton with like just the jealousy, jealousy coming from Lewis at wanting to be in that Alpha Tauri seat now. <laughs> just, it's just, he just really wants to be there. Just like, look at, look at that seat. Oh, I could be in fifth, but I'm in seventh. Oh. Yeah, I, if I were him, I, I yeah, what what a place to be! And then he's in a Mercedes, and he must just be feeling so. And he, well, I think I think it will go even further back than that. I think he'll be looking at the decision he made in 2013 to move to Mercedes and think Actually, there was that offer on the table from Toro Rosso, tw- and he could have taken Rosso it the seat time. available that he could have gone to. How to Verstappen 2015? <laughs> really, the end of Verstappen's career. Yeah, he would have. Yeah. <laughs> is, is, is Verstappen's career over? No, because Hamilton didn't go to Toro Rosso and he's regretting <laughs> that now. He's lying His in bed. I don't know if he's asleep now, but he's, he's thinking, damn. Well, it's 11 o'clock in Monaco. He should Sorry. be in sleep. It's past his bedtime. Mm. Not that we're recording this at a certain particular point in the UK. No one knows. <laughs> there's, a mystic, there's a mystique to this podcast that keeps, it, keeps our fans. That's why you're here, because you don't know. Hmm. We're not, we actually we're not recorded this in 2018 before this race actually happened. That's how <laughs> in, that's how mystical it is. Ooh. We're all in the same room as well. We're just in different corners of it, with different <laughs> lights on. Yeah, <laughs> the um, architecture of this room is fantastic. Yes, it's actually it's actually a big hall, uh, yeah. it's like the one in, in Harry Potter in Hogwarts, and we're just all at little corners of it. Hello, yeah, it's like a low-hanging roof. Yeah, you see the weather. Another star of today was Antonio Giovinazzi in the pessimism stakes. We bring them back. And it's an optimistic pessimism stakes again because Giovinazzi has actually been good this season. Like, all jokes aside, he, I think he's, he's been much improved this season. And, yeah, he, he made it to Q3, which was a stunning performance. And he probably should have been ahead. He probably should have been ninth or eighth. But he, he was stuck behind Ocon and he was within a second of Ocon for about 50 laps. Like, we looked down halfway through or whatever and was like, oh, oh Joe Benazzi, oh, he's near Ocon, will we see him pass? And then, like, about 30 laps later, Martin Brundle goes, oh, Joe Benazzi's closer to Ocon, or, you know, he's within a second. And we're thinking, yeah, he's been there for the last hour. Um, but, no, I, I think Joe Benazzi, in the theme of um, quietly good performances over the season, he's been one of them. I think he has he's had a much better season. He's yeah, plugged was... away at Formula One, hasn't he? Like, mm. first season, not great. Promise. No. Second season, yeah. okay. Could It should have been better as, a, as it should have been this season last year. And now it is this season. And this he's now year. earning himself as a Formula One driver, to be fair. Mm. Deserves to be there with these performances. And at a pure driver's track, he got into Q3. So, mm. good job. Really good job yeah. from Giovinazzi. Just an alpha really, really impressive. Alfa Romeo messed up the strategy, which is why he's tenth, not eighth. But um, again, like, yeah, again. So you know, there's probably more to come from Giovinazzi this year. I think. Yeah. And Alfa Romeo deserved points as well this season, and for this to be their first point of the season is quite mm. remarkable. But yeah, they finally got somewhere. Giovinazzi probably had the upper hand on Raikkonen in general. On Raikkonen did quite well to be not too far behind him at the finish, I don't think, in, in 11. Well, that was because of, um, that was just because he was stuck behind Ocon because the gap oh, yeah. when, um, Adam and I were watching this gap in 10, <laughs> like 25 because seconds. Because was like, I think he was about 30, just probably the better side of 30 seconds behind Giovinazzi when he came, when they both had pitted. And Giovinazzi was about eight tenths behind Ocon. And by the end of the race, Giovinazzi was eight tenths behind Ocon and Raikkonen was about one second behind Giovinazzi. They were, the, they were all in the same shot. as <laughs> so, yeah, The race pace for the Alfa Romeo was really good this weekend. It's yeah. just Ocon is a good qualifier. Yeah, I mean, Ocon was on... He was the only driver to do the soft-medium strategy, a strategy, wasn't he? Which is probably mm. why he was so slow, because I think the medium tires were really hanging on at, at the end. Mm. Well, that's what we saw with... Um, we alluded to, alluded to it earlier with Hamilton in 2019. Yeah. Um, that's why he was hanging on at the end of the race, because he was on mediums, not on hards. Mm. Yeah, and Verstappen nearly rear-ended him at um, Nouveau Chicane. Who, when, when will it be 
not the new chicane. We don't know. That's a discussion for another day, though. Me and Freddie have already had it while watching the race. But you mentioned Ocon there, and he was one of a few uh, teammate pairings that had a pretty big difference over the race, over the weekend, in fact. Um, so, yeah, between him and Alonso, then, you know, Ocon really had the abandon. I think it's a good good finish from ninth. I know there was a strategy um, gamble there, but I think to finish ninth is a good performance from what they had. The first time since 2007, I think, that Alonso has been out qualified in three races in a row. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's big. That's... Yeah. Kudos to whoever came up with that stat. What came up with? Discovered. You found out that I, Yeah, I came up with it. I made it up. It's not true. Kudos to um, Freddie. <laughs> <laughs> um, I saw it on Twitter earlier and I thought, geez, that's. He's had a really good run of form, Alonso, over the past mm. 13 years for that to be the case. But um, mm. and then again, you couldn't have seen that him being that happening from Felipe Massa out qualifying over three in a row. But anyway, um, like. Yeah, Massa was good. He's in the F1 game. Oh, yeah, he's an icon in the F1 game. He is. <laughs> what, what was the point? What was the question? Yeah. <laughs> what was the you point? What's the point? What is oh, the was point? I saying a point? I've had enough. Oh, the, point, <laughs> the point was this is not going well for Alonso. Look at this qualifying form. End of. Right. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think, I think it's similar to Red Bull. I think. Perez is kind of like Alonso in terms of uh, the qualified pace isn't there, but the race pace is. But because he's qualified so far back, he's not able to get a good result out of it. And Ocon is kind of like Verstappen in that sense. What's up? For- no, I, I, I just, it's all related to this. I just thought something else. Um, oh, okay. No, I'm just, I'm just tearing this podcast apart. Yeah, that's right. um, yeah I think it's I think the Alpine situation is similar to the Red Bull situation, basically. Mm. Very interesting. F1 cars are hard to drive. Yes, they are. That's we, the situation. When, when we yeah. when we've driven F1 cars, we found them hard to drive as well. Um, so yeah, tell that to the people who comment under the BBC Sports Personality of the Year every single year, saying it's just driving round circles. Yeah, it's, it's, is it it's, you, it's, Ronnie O'Sullivan? <laughs> oh no, <laughs> it, is, it is also driving around in circles. Not just driving around in circles, but you know, it is. Well, on on that note, remember to watch the Indy 500 next week. Scott Dixon taking a fantastic pole position. Just does it just because he's fantastic. I've not watched it yet, Freddie. (laughs) I didn't know you were going to re-watch it. It's a bloody three-day qualifying. Yeah, but I've not seen today's when they do the one-lap shootout. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't know it was a spoiler kind of thing. It's 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 hours long. (laughs) It's like, oh, I haven't seen the 24 Hours of Le Mans. I was going to re-watch it. As live. Nixon's on pole, everyone. Yeah. In, I'm just, yeah. you know, it's the circle segue. Even though it's an oval. Yeah. Well, no, you like segued away from the Grom. <laughs> we did. <laughs> you segued away from the thing we're talking about, you idiot. Segue away, segue away, segue away. <laughs> no, we got back in. Oh, God, this is going to pot. Uh... Not going to pot, it's going to success. <laughs> We're going to win. We're going to win the We're going to win the podcast battle. Come on, <sighs> it's like a, it's like an acapella battle or a Ricardo, battle. Let's talk about Ricardo. Yeah, oh, Ricardo's, about Ricardo. Not going, Ricardo's not going to win the battle because he um, was lapped what? by his teammate. I know it was. Yeah, it, it, it was bad. And I think it's it's not the track you want to go to when you are low on confidence in a car. And Ricardo proved that because he went to Monaco, which is a track that you do not want to go to when you're low on confidence in the car. And he had low confidence in the car and it went badly wow. for him. I'll yeah. tell you what, I think the worst thing is after qualifying, he said, when I crossed the line, I thought it was a good lap. Yeah, he was half yes. a second behind or whatever. Now, that's a big worry because if you cross the line and think, right, I, I made a mistake, the car, it was too twitchy, there was too much on the steer or whatever, then that's fine. But if you think you've done a good job, yet yeah, there's still a pretty big deficit, now that, that's a big worry. And that's what I fear about Ricardo. Uh, and, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm worried that this trend could go on for quite a while. I think, mm. and I, I don't. Yes, of course, it only takes one race to turn things around. But from what I've seen, 
I don't see it happening anytime soon. It is a bit. It is a bit sour. It's a bit like, hmm. I don't really. I, I know what you mean about it. It feeling like it's not going to go away, and it's like, it's why is it different? Because why isn't he able to get to grips with this? And it it doesn't. I don't know. It seems to not make. From what you were saying after qualifying, it doesn't make sense to him. And that's really worrying after five races. He's, the first time he drove that car was nearly three months ago now, because mm. so two and a half at least. So it's not, it's not really. I'm not very comfortable with the way this three-year career is going. We are only into race five of twenty-three this year, and judging on that, I'll be even if he if he does complete a three-year contract, that's nearly seventy races. So sixty-nine um, races. Just say there we there we go. Um, 69 races like I decided not to do the maths because I knew I couldn't um, even though it's the easiest math in the world and I feel stupid um, but yeah hopefully something does it feels weird to sort of say something needs to click it doesn't feel like something needs to click it feels like it's going to be super gradual really because mm. he's running a similar setup to Norris he um, is just not driving the car in the same way that seems to be it it's just yeah I don't. It's a, and I don't know. Lando's not going to tell him his driving style. I mean, he, he said that, and there was a Sky Sports interview they did with um, Daniel, which they played before the race. Um, and he said, he said Carlos came over to him, Carlos Sainz, who's in the seat last year, and said, "What do you think? Weird, huh?" He's like, "Yeah, thanks, mate." Um, which you <laughs> know, touch of regret there, Daniel. Hmm. Mm. Anyway, but I, I think mean, he, he's performing where the, where the Alpine is, but he's doing it in a better car so i mean he's yeah, a different to a free car mm, yeah i think a capable car two times yeah capable car mm-hmm. regarding your previous point i think there's nothing worse than watching a journalism student trying to do math um <laughs> being a journalism student trying to do math because neither ever look or feel good i but, did a level maths yeah okay. and you tried to do it and you couldn't do it it was awful to watch yeah exactly <laughs> i watched <laughs> it all it was rubbish um, yeah, you recorded it watched it, it live no spoilers. i really didn't do the exams i was that bad anyway Oh, wow. <laughs> what, did you do, like, coursework instead? Maths we'll coursework. talk about it on, on a special podcast. Yeah, I've written that. out my times tables. <laughs> Maths coursework. Well, dude, what, what's the... Um, is it Da Vinci Spiral? It's probably not, but the, like, spiral... The Fibonacci sequence, where, like, you put all the squares together, and then, like, if you draw a spiral going around, it's arty. It's, it is a thing. That's art, mate. No, but it's also maths. Because it's like, yeah, it's like one and one, and then two, and then, wait, I, I, and oh, then like, syndication. It, yeah, it's got like squares that get bigger, but it's on the Fibonacci sequence. But then if you draw a, a spiral word. around it, then it's like, makes the Mona Lisa. I can't remember. Adam, take control of this podcast. I, I was, but in an artsy way, in a massive way. <laughs> yeah, What's I mean, the segue you know, now? What like, you say, he's, like, like you say, he's not, yeah, b- being in the... He's in the McLaren and, you know, it's he not like Alpine. If it's not he's... like Alpine are where Ferrari are. If that was the case, that would be bad. That he's like stepped out of this, you know, podium team that he was very comfortable in to McLaren. It's, you know, he wouldn't really be doing much better. So at least he's got a higher ceiling um, in McLaren if he can get it together. But for the moment, that's not happening. And someone else who has struggled over the past few races as well, albeit for maybe different reasons, is Yuki Tsunoda, who finished 16 today. And it's really sad. Like, I want him to do well, but he's just not at the moment. Yeah, it's expected for me because he's never been to Monaco before. And it's probably the toughest track to learn, especially especially with the limited practice this year. Uh so I kind of expected him not to do too well at Monaco, but Azerbaijan's going to be the same because I don't think he's ever raced there either. So he could be in for a trick, couple of tricky weekends. Adams nodding, sh- shaking his head. Um, no, it was to the point about Azerbaijan. So that's just me. I was just oh. thinking. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's never on. raced there because last year he didn't go to D. So, no. uh, so yeah, he got... in F3. I don't think yeah, I could have been there. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be mad. <laughs> yeah, 30 cars going into yeah, the cars. 30 cars wide. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I think... We're doing I this think then just... It, 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 it. 
Sorry, carry on. Oh, yeah, think, that's not a good memory. <laughs> I think Sonoda, where he can start to show his form, show his talent, is probably the double header in, in Austria, where, where obviously it's, it's a familiar track, short track. I think that's where he can start to come back. Long way away. I know it's a long time, a long time away. Uh, actually, I don't think, it's only two races away. Yeah, sounds about Jean and France, isn't it? But I don't think, I don't see him getting too much closer than than he's been uh, in the last few races. Yeah, I um, I think, I think that's right. It seems weird because he came out of the blocks well. It was kind of skewed, I think, by the Alpha Tauri being so good at um, Bahrain and at the start of the season. Really, kind of probably skewed yeah. it all a bit and made it um. Because Gasly obviously threw away a massive result there at the mm. start, but in a way, so did Yuki. And he got two points, and I think that's probably flattered our expectations of him in Formula 1 for the next four races, because two consecutive Q1 exits, um, um, consistently sort of, you know, mid-teens, really, for the rest of the other two races. So, oh, yeah, his Imola weekend wasn't great, was it? So, no, it's a bit... I think I don't know. It, I think you're right, Nigel. I think you know. Just wait for so the tracks he's familiar out. Yeah. Really just, just keep it on. clean. No, keep it yeah, clean. Keep it clean. Try and not to what... let, get. Try not to let it get to your head. And just remember that he is super young. He has been thrown straight into the deep end. I mm. still think it's the right thing that he is in F1. I just think he, if he can deal with it, he'll get. He'll become a much more complete racer by mm. the end of the summer. By the end of the season, I think. Yeah, I agree, and I think. You know, I was saying to Freddie, and I've not done winners and losers for the last two races because of uni work. But I, I'd kind of put him in losers a lot because it feels like his expectations were so elevated by his Bahrain performance. Whereas, if he'd not had a good race in Bahrain, that probably wouldn't be the case. You'd just think, oh, he's still, you know, still struggling to adapt to the car, but it wouldn't really be standout that he's having bad races. Whereas, yeah, I think while it was obviously great that he had such a good start to his F1 career, it's kind of yeah changed the changed the narrative around him, but. Yeah, I think it's it's right to look to those two races as where he can come on a bit. And we, we know he's a good driver and we know he can drive the car well because he's shown that already this season and previously. So, yeah, just need to keep putting it away. And I think he will get there. I have literally nothing to say on Williams or Haas. Do either of you want to touch on them? We should touch on Williams' 750th Grand Prix. Um which is, you know, it's a great, you know, second most experienced team on the grid. I think they're third after McLaren um, and Ferrari. And yeah, good on them for 750 Grand Prix. Same as shame it's not, you know, a great Grand Prix comparatively to their early days. Um, and But they're still the, the team that's won the second most of Constructors' Championships um, in the history of Formula One. And yeah. They finished 14th and 15th. 14th and 15th is actually all right, to be honest. Only two retirements. Um yeah, and then you've got two Haas cars. And two so, Haas cars. <laughs> so they're ahead of Sonoda. Yeah. It's not great. Um... <laughs> hey, 750. Yeah, I tried. Um, they've been doing some really nice stuff on their social where they've been really been talking about lots of team members and sort of saying, Oh, this is race like 214 for me, that kind of thing. And it and what's your favorite Williams moment? And that, that's some really, really nice stuff that's come out of the Williams social media in the past few weeks. So it's really heartwarming stuff. And if you really you need know, that sort of family team that Williams is, it's really nice. So if you see anything of that, give it a look. They're really nice little videos, little just minute long videos. Nigel, have you got the, the bar's been set? Have you got a similar um, amount of optimism to pour onto either Williams or Haas? Uh, I guess it. Russell, is, we've not talked about his streak recently. I don't think he still continues it's, out, which is oh, okay. called that streak, type of streak. So, yeah, not as. <laughs> <laughs> not, not what you're thinking about. Not, not what you think about every day, Adam. Uh, yeah, it, it's qualified every stream. hour. He did it on Instagram every month, every day last year. So, who, me or George Russell? But yeah, sure, oh, you can okay. do it. Okay. okay. Uh, yeah. Maybe I already fun. have my Instagrams on private. No one would know except them. Don't matter. Sorry, Nigel. Continue. His <laughs> qualified streak, which is, gosh, I think it's like. 40 now, maybe, at Williams. <laughs> this one is really good. It's a really good <laughs> People who are not watching this this on video are really, they must be really confused as to why we're laughing at random moments. 
I'm not laughing. I'm keeping this professional. Adam's the one who needs to get this podcast under control. Why do I like it out of control? Because it gives him more opportunity to say the catchphrase. Mm. Get this podcast under control. No, I thought, I Don't thought go into get... your own Da Vinci spiral of despair. No, that's, that's, yeah, that's a Vinci um, Linguini. Okay, well, if, we, if that's done for the run-through, I've got one more piece of news, which is um, Nanini's run at making winning the F2 and F3 championships in the same season is indeed at an end. He has pulled out of F2 to concentrate on He might F3. make a comeback. You never know. <laughs> he might do. Jack Aitken, who's replaced him um, at the last minute, has only, um, has only contracted to Monaco and Baku. Um, mm. I think the sponsors are kind of thinking this is a bit expensive, which is fair enough. Um, but yes, every night I now light a candle in memory of the split season. But anyway. It's, it's been a tough year between that and Clement Novelak becoming French. It's, it's, it's been tough. But... It's been hard. Mm. On F2, um, we <laughs> oh, should also give... This, seriously. <laughs> We'll take no this seriously because I'm going to talk about your favourite driver. Um, on F2, we should talk about Teo Portier, 17 years old, dominating right. pole position, and dominating the feature Lindo. race. Not your favourite driver. Not anymore, oh, mate. He also likes Teo Portier. <laughs> Wait, is it not? Um, what? Well, how come? I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that needs to be clipped. If you that don't know about be... Christian Lungard, that's probably better for you. Um, but yeah, Teo Porcher, not old enough to have a driver's license around Monaco, but rinsed everyone else on those streets in the qualifying and feature race. So mm. good job, Teo. Good job. Mm. Absolutely. T- and the only second, second event as well, which is even more remarkable. Uh, and has he ever raced at Monaco before? I don't, don't think he has. I don't know. He might have done like a a Formula Renault or something. I'm not sure. Possibly. Even if he's only raced there once or twice, or he's never raced, or that's even more impressive. Uh, So, yeah, I just hope he can continue that kind of form, really. Still don't like the F2 format. (laughs) It's it's all right, but I still don't like it. But I hope Porsche can deliver the goods. And it'll be interesting to see, would any F1 team be willing to get a driver that young? Uh, but yeah, it's still very early stages of the season, of course. He's in the Sauber Academy, isn't he? Yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah, Sauber. Mm. So he is back. Mm. Yeah, no, I think I th- there's options open to him, I'd imagine. And you know, he has got the he has got the luxury of being very young, and you know, he can take a second season in F two. He's got the backing, and you know, still maybe maybe you won't need to, to take a second season in F two. Maybe he yeah. won't. Maybe he'll I mean, win and he won't be able to take a second season. In <laughs> Good point. Yeah. I mean, we saw with Schwartzman as well last year. He in Hungary, he was brilliant. So I just, I'm, I'm a little, I'm a little bit wary that Porsche doesn't go uh, goes down the same route. You know, he he performs well early on, but then drops away a bit like Schwartzman, who's, who's not having a great season himself this year. Right. So I'm just a bit wary that the success hasn't come too early and stuff like that, and whether. Uh, Porsche can continue his, his great form. We've had some good rookies. Um, you've got mm. Lawson, uh, Liam Lawson, and um, Oscar Piastri, who've consistently been up, fr- up front as well. So, yeah. good field, good field at the front. It is, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Schwartzman's had some bad luck as well. And I think that's, I don't know, it, it feels weird like this format. I think it, it exceeded expectations the first weekend, but I don't know. For this, it just feels strange. Like the people, it's Monaco. Two, it's... Two, two thirds of the races, the people fighting at the front aren't the best, kind of in theory. It's like. That's what I don't like. The theory the theory is that um, what only one race, the people fighting at the front aren't the best because the people who qualify in 10th, um, qualifying first, even would then be 10th and then would be first for the next sprint race for the second reverse, which is the theory of two races are then, you know, those who qualify and one is a reverse, really. But, like, it goes against racing driver logic. So um, you're always going to have the best drivers fighting through for two races. And I know the party line at the back when GP2 was rolled out was it such a teach racecraft in a fast car. Like, go away. No, it's not. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> it's just it's just an excuse to have a reverse grid. I'm, but I'm, I'm um, explaining to a casual fan as well. Porsche qualifies <laughs> on pole, but then he's not yeah. on pole for the first two races, and you have yeah. to wait three days till Sunday. That just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me. And I really, mm. really don't like that. Casual fan. Many other things. What to do? Never heard of a casual fan. F two. Why would they want a casual fan? It's ridiculous. In 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 fairness, yeah, it's not really the most casual of um, sports to spectate. But yeah, yeah. Well, you think of Formula One. Everyone knows what Formula One. You think Formula Two. If you if you're really casual, know nothing about it, you think, oh, that's just Division Two, that kind of thing. Um, so you kind of would be, um, you, you would expect it to be like a really really high quality racing series. And if they're messing around with where cars are for the majority of the weekend and not sort of explaining it that easily, then, and you're like, oh, well, why is the guy who's best not being the best? Then it's kind of like, it is a bit complicated. But you don't get the same kind of tribalistic fan bases that you do in like, I don't know, the championship or college football no, or you're right. whatever. Like, you know, if, if you if you just had like a really passionate, like, pocket of Sheru supporters that would just yeah. like turn turn out every race and just like say you and I actually suck every single race like you know that'd be good but you don't <laughs> well, you don't have that <laughs> there was a massive um like the equivalent of those Ferrari flags you get at Monza there was a massive tail for chair flag on the in the grandstands um he's got fans and he's only 17 poor lad it's gonna go to his head like oh. it went to mine ha 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 Oh, no, ready. 37, right. Uh, drivers of the day. What are we saying? Because there's a few options. Uh, of the day, not the weekend. Yeah. Of the day. Okay. So not Leclerc. Probably Vettel. <laughs> I'd have to edge it to Vettel, I'd say. Mm. I think I'd, he, he'd, he'd be in my considerations. I think it, I voted for Norris because UK is so poor at Eurovision that I felt like we need to pick me up in some public voting. Um, but I think Verstappen, like people don't vote the race winner drivers that ain't enough. That's the easy option every time though, isn't it, I guess. It's the easy <laughs> option because he had the race he had the race under control. I was going to say Verstappen as well. I think the race is very under control. driver of the day, but every race this year has been the race winner. But no, argue that. Well, then, then it is then. Cool. Let's move on. Next question, Adam. Um, no, there is no next question. Yeah. Cool. You can make an argument as well. Possibly. You can make an argument for they had good moments in the race. Mm. I'd say with Perez. I think. I mean, he moved. Mm, up yeah, I mean, there wasn't place, anything wrong. There wasn't place. anything wrong with the race. I think it was just the level of control the Sapphire had over this race was brilliant. I think. I think that the fact that it was such a good race, despite um, despite the fact that basically no battle for the lead. Kind of says a lot. Um, just I don't think one it's, more. It's his best race this season, though. I'd say. Think... That's uh, why it's of the day, mate. No, yeah, it's of the day rather than yeah. driver related to the season. <laughs> if it was point. that, then it'd definitely be better. What? Uh, just quickly, what would you rate the Monaco Grand Prix out of thirteen? Oh, that's an interesting number. If it's out of thirteen, I'll give it a seven. Only yeah, a seven? seven. Seven. Yeah, seven. Say I think it had, it had patches. Just, just had patches that weren't. The best, the patches that were. I thought Two it was years good. Ago was I better. thought it was good. 2018 was better. This was probably similar to 2017 levels, I'd say. Mm. It had really interesting, really interesting moments. It's saved by the storylines, if that makes sense. Not by the race, if that makes sense. I think yeah. it makes sense. Makes sense to me. I'll, I'll give it a nine. Um, cool. Nice. So there we go. Um, but yeah, I am very happy now that our uni coursework is over. So yeah, I'm feeling very good. How are you? You both feeling good? Yeah, my coursework isn't over, but um, no, it's not. Um, uh, but yeah, I'm very good, and I'm looking forward to editing this podcast. So am I. Looking You're not going to, to editing it. it. Yeah, do <laughs> you editing it, Nigel? Anything to add? Uh, not really, Adam. <laughs> well, thank you for listening, and goodbye. <laughs>